We put Jesus on the cross. The necessity of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross shows just how radical our situation was as fallen people. It has been said that you can tell the depth of a well by how much rope is lowered. When we look at how much rope was lowered from heaven, we realize how grave our situation really was. For that reason, don't blame the people of that day for putting Jesus on the cross. We are just as guilty as they. In reality, it was not the Roman soldiers who put him on the cross, nor was it the Jewish leaders. It was our sin that made it necessary for Jesus to volunteer for this torturous and humiliating death. 1. The Greatest Demonstration of Love See Romans 5, 6-8 Jesus did not die for us while we were his friends, but while we were his enemies opposing him by our sinfulness. Yet in spite of all this, God demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross. In this passage, the Apostle Paul explains that Jesus did not simply die for humanity as a whole, but that he died for us as individuals. Elsewhere, Paul writes, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Whenever you are tempted to doubt God's love for you, take a long look at the cross on which Jesus died. Then realize that, for all practical purposes, it was not nails that held him to the cross, but love. 2. Forsaken that we might be forgiven. See Luke 23, 32-49. Many of us have heard this story at some point in our lives, yet the significance behind this heart-wrenching scene is often missed or misunderstood. This was not simply some good teacher being crucified for his beliefs. It was God in human form who hung on that cross, bridging the gap between sinful people and a holy God. Matthew's Gospel tells us that when Jesus hung on that cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Matthew 27:46 Many Bible scholars believe that those words mark the precise moment at which God placed the sins of the world upon his son. The Bible speaking of God says, "You are the pure eyes then to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness." For that reason, the Holy Father had to turn his face and pour out his wrath upon his own son. On the cross, Jesus received the wages that were due us. He was not heard that we might be heard. The ear of God was closed to Jesus for a time that it might never be closed to us. 3. Christ, the sole mediator. See 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. Why is there only one mediator who is qualified to bridge the gap between God and people? Haven't there been other religious leaders who have been claimed to have the way to God? Haven't some of them also died as a result of their message? While the answers to these questions may be yes, the truth is that not one of these other leaders have fully, was fully God and fully human. That is why Jesus is uniquely qualified to deal with sin. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. John 1, 4, 6. Acts 4, 12 tells us, There is salvation in no one else, 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And most important, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Though it is true that you must believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins in order to receive eternal life and be a true Christian, there is still some things, something else you must do. The response. Accept God's offer. To know Jesus Christ personally and have your sins forgiven, you must believe that you are a sinner separated from God and that your only hope is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and died for your sins. To stop here, however, would be to stop short of salvation. There are two things you must now do to enter into a relationship with the God from whom you have been separated. 1. Turn from your sins. As Jesus began his public ministry, his first message was repent of your sins, Mark 1.15. In essence, Jesus was telling the people to repent, to acknowledge their sins, change their minds, and change the direction of their lives. Look at it this way. In the past, we have been blinded by our sins, causing us to run from God. As we repent, we do a U-turn and start running toward him. It is not enough to just be sorry for our sins. We must also change our lifestyle, for the Bible teaches that the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. 2 Corinthians 7.10 In other words, if you are really sorry for something, it will result in a change in your actions. The Apostle Paul summed up this change subsequently when he quoted Jesus, who had said that people must turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Act 26.18 You see, there are some things only God can do and some things only you can do. Only God can remove your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. But only you can turn from your sins and receive Jesus as your Savior. That brings up the second thing you must do to respond to God's offer. 2. Believe in Jesus Christ and receive him into your life. Having seen the enormity of your sin and decide to turn from it, you then must believe, however, is far more than following a creed or trying to live by certain standards. Jesus said that you must be born again, or more literally, born from above. John 3.3 The spiritual rebirth happens when we personally believe in Jesus Christ, receive him by inviting him into our lives, and turn from our sins. In other words, we ask Jesus to come and take residence in our lives, making the changes he deems necessary. A person must take this all-important step in order to become a child of God. Notice that this offer is yours for the asking, and it's free. You don't have to work for it, trying to clean up your life before you make this life-changing decision. The Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 Being a Christian also means having a relationship with the living God. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. To better understand the meaning of this verse, it is important to understand the culture at the time it was written. Eating together in the Bible times was a long, drawn-out affair. 
People would not sit on chairs behind tables in a formal setting as we do, but they would sit on the floor, reclining on pillows around a low table. The relaxed atmosphere made meals a time when you would not only satisfy your appetite, but also receive a gratifying serving of enjoyable table conversation. You would share your heart and life with those who sat beside you. Consequently, Jesus says that he will share a meal with us. It implies intimacy, closeness, and friendship. He offers this to us, but we must first hear him calling us. To hear God calling us, we must now we must know how he speaks. One way in which God speaks to us is described in the Bible as a gentle whisper. 1 Kings 19:12. This could be described in other way as that tug you might have felt on your heart from the Holy Spirit, showing you your need for Jesus. He may even be speaking to you right now. It is at this point that you must open the door. Only you can do that. Jesus will not force his way in. Receiving Jesus Christ into your heart. If you are ready to turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ so that you can receive the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life, then take a moment to bow your head and pray a prayer like this one right now. God, I am sorry for my sin. I turn from it right now. I thank you for you sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and life right now. Be my Lord, Savior, and friend. Help me to follow you all the days of my life as your disciple. Thank you for forgiving and receiving me right now. Thank you that my sin is forgiven and that I am going to heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Redirecting your life to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you are already a Christian. But you have strayed from Jesus Christ, and you have been a prodigal son or daughter. God will forgive you right now if you will return to him. He tells us in scripture, My wayward children, come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. Jeremiah 3.22 If you would like to return to God and redirect your life to him right now, you may want to pray something like this. God, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry that I have strayed from you. I ask you to forgive me now as I repent my sin. I don't want to live like a prodigal any longer. Renew and revive me as I once again follow you as my God. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Whether you prayed to make a first-time commitment or a recommitment, you have made the right decision. God has forgiven and received you, if you really meant it. Know that your relationship with Jesus Christ will bring radical and dramatic changes in your life. Describing this, the Bible says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Now that is good news, but more importantly, God has changed your eternal destiny. Instead of fearing an eternal punishment in a place called hell, you will spend peaceful eternity in his presence in heaven. Next time, we'll read a section to see what else God has done for you now that you have taken this step. 
Thank you for listening. Today's reading plan, Matthew 26, 36 through 56, then 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9.